Job chapter 28, and I want to read one, maybe to most of us, obscure uh, verse of Scripture found there in verse 7. Job chapter 28 and verse 7. Everybody glad you're in church today. Amen. Praise God. It's good to see every one of our guests that is here this morning. We're so delighted that you've chosen to be with us. It's really good to have Sister Bella Jackson with us. And she is here with uh, Chanel. Chanel is going to have a birthday tomorrow. And uh, man, it's hard to believe my baby is going to be 17 years old. Now, I know I don't look a whole lot older than that, but um, nevertheless... I've, I've, I've got children that are a whole lot older than her. If you can believe that. I know that's even harder to believe. But uh, no matter what, you know, time just ticks on. You can't stop time, but that's better than the alternatives, right? So thankful to be among the land of the living. Job chapter 28 and verse number 7. There is a path which no fowl knoweth and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. I want you to consider that unusual, and there's a lot of verses down through this chapter that are a little bit unusual and maybe different for our Western minds to be able to grapple with this morning, but I hope to unpack this verse of Scripture. There is a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture's eye hath not seen. I want to preach for your consideration upon this subject, what the vulture's eye hath not seen. What the vulture's eye hath not seen. Would you lift up your voice again with me, and let's pray one more time that the Lord would have his way in the remainder of our service. Let's ask for him to move and touch and minister the hearts of people that are here. Would you pray with me? Join with me now. Jesus, we are asking God in your name that you would minister to every need and every request that has been presented before your throne. I'm praying, God, that you would heal, that you would deliver, that you would set free. God, that you would work miracles in this house, and when your word goes forth, it would not return void. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And would you clap your hands to the name of the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise the name of the Lord for he's worthy. How many really believes that he's worthy? Praise God. Not just giving assent to what the preacher's saying, which is good, but we really believe that God is worthy of our highest praise. If you believe that, you ought to sound off in victory and worship and thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Really, this, this thought came from the writings of a prolific author by the name of F.W. Borm. F.W. Borm is an old, old writer who tells of a life altering experience that he had one afternoon while admiring art in a museum. As he was walking through that museum, he came across a particular appealing picture to him that attracted his attention. It was a 
picture that had been painted by an artist by the name of Charles Whitener. And it was depicting a mountainous scene. There was splintered peaks, jagged pinnacles that descended down into deep, dark, desolate valleys. And everything was well thought out. And you could just feel the ruggedness of the picture. And, and uh, down in one of those valleys between two mountain peaks, he had painted a tomb filled with treasures. And there was an opening, and you could see into the tomb there in the side of the mountain. And there was all kinds of precious metals, gold, silver, valuable jewels. There was onyx, and there was rubies, and sapphires, and emeralds, and of course diamonds that were seen in this picture. And one of those craggy outcroppings on the side of a mountain was a tree that had many years before died and on one of its limbs there was perched there a vulture and the vulture its attention was not focused on the valley but its attention was off in the distance and all of those jewels rubies and and precious metals were down there uh, depicted by the artist in the valley, but it was obvious that the vulture did not see them. His attention was not uh, attracted to them or focused upon them. And so down at the bottom of the painting, the artist made this inscription. He used this particular verse of Scripture and he named the painting what I've entitled this sermon this morning, What the Vulture's Eye Hath Not Seen. For those who study vultures and their eyesight, they have compared them to eagles. And we all know that eagles have a very precise eyesight. Scientists tell us that an eagle's eyesight is approximately... Uh, several times, I think something like 20 times uh, the eyesight of a human being. And you may not realize this, but an eagle's eye, a full-grown eagle's eye, is about the same size as a human eye. They have not only binocular vision, but they have monocular vision. That means they can see... Uh, more than just one direction. You and I have monocular vision. We can only see in the direction that we're looking, and both of our eyes normally look in the same direction. But these uh, vultures, they have binocular vision, meaning that they can have one eye that is looking and focusing on one particular thing while the other is looking at another thing totally independent from one another. Eagles also have night vision. They can see almost as good in the night as they can in the broad daylight. Great vision for a human being is 20-20 vision. That is considered perfect vision. And uh, very few of us, especially at my age, do we have perfect vision. Most of us have to use the assistance of glasses or contacts and and uh, just thankful to have decent sight. But 2020 vision is considered perfect human vision. 
And an eagle, just average vision, is 25 vision, which means that an eagle, an eagle can see uh, a rabbit scurrying across, uh, maybe going across a field at some, sometimes two miles away. They can see from 650 feet in the air. They can see a tiny mouse as it runs between the blades of grass beneath them. And that would be much like you and I standing atop of a 10-story building and being able to see a fire ant crawling on the sidewalk. That is the comparison that was made in the things that I read. So this artist is depicting more than just uh, nature and its wonder. He's depicting more than just some peculiar thing uh, that is happening here with this vulture. He is not describing something that the vulture is incapable of detecting. He's not emphasizing the lack of ability in this vulture. But he is emphasizing the lack of appetite and desire in this vulture. Because nothing defines the character of all things living like their appetite. It is our appetite that defines our character and says more to what we are really about. I know that the writer did not say that the vulture cannot see, but he writes, hath not seen. A vulture looks for dead things because that's what it has an appetite for. A vulture looks for rotting things because that's what it has an appetite for. A vulture looks for things that has no life in them. In fact, it will not feed in normal circumstances on things that are living. And I am told that a vulture will stick its beak in the eye of that that it is going to partake of because it wants to be certain that it is dead, that there is absolutely no life in it. And I take from that scripture the illustration where the scripture tells us that to us as children of God, as the bride of Christ, that we are the apple of God's eye, meaning that he will protect us, he will fight for us, he will be there in our circumstances and in our challenges of life and when we need him, because if there's any life left in him, he's going to protect those that he loves. He said, that is the apple of my eye, my children, the bride of Christ. And I know that this sounds exceedingly simple here this morning, but you, you really receive in life what you look for, what you're focused on, what it is that you have eyes to see. And that says more about your character. It says something about your nature. What you look for is what you're hungry for. And that describes the type of person that you are and describes your nature. There's an old English nursery rhyme that uh, is about a cat that visited the palace in England. And the question is asked of the cat, where have you been? And he replies, I have been to London to visit the queen. And the question is asked, uh, of the cat again. What did you see there? 
And sadly, he stated, I saw a a frightened little man. Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Here was a, uh, a cat that had the opportunity to visit royalty. Here was a cat that had the opportunity to be in the presence of the queen. Here was a cat that had the opportunity to go to the capital city of the ancient country of London. That is, or the ancient country of England, London. And there, instead of seeing royalty, instead of uh, taking in the sights that were availed to him, all he was focused upon was a frightened mouse that was under the throne. Here he was in the very presence of royalty. Here he was in the throne room. And that's all that he was focused upon. I want to tell you that what we are hungry for, what we desire, that's what we'll look for. That's what we'll be focused upon. When we come to the house of God, if we're focused on the glory of God, we'll see the glory of God. If we're focused on the moving of God's Spirit, then we will see the moving of God's Spirit. If we are focused on seeing a miracle, more than likely God will allow us to see and experience a miracle in our life. If we come hungry to see prayers answered, aren't you thankful that we're in the place today that God can answer and work in our prayers? If we come hungry to the house of God to see God work and touch people's lives, even other than our own needs, we come to see Him move upon those that are in need of Him here in this house this morning. I believe that God is able to move upon those situations and those needs as we desire and look for Him. The Bible said, for they that look for Him shall He come a second time. Amen. And I think that principle includes more than just the rapture of the church, but that principle includes us that are in this building this morning. If we come looking for God to work, more than likely we're going to see Him work in this place, and His will is going to be done, and there will be a touch of the Holy Ghost in this house. Why don't you put your hands together and clap them under the Lord right now? Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1 says of the coming of the Lord as the Messiah to this world. Isaiah is giving a prophecy of the Lord's birth and he says when they shall see him there is no beauty that they should desire him. When they look upon him he's not going to have the appeal. He's not going to have the attraction that they have perceived in their mind. It's not going to be the way that they thought. And if they're not careful, they're going to overlook Him. The Scripture indicates this in the book of John, chapter number 1. It says, He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But as to many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. We understand that again we receive what we look for 
and what we desire, what we have an appetite and a hunger to receive from the Lord, that is what we're going to see God do and work out in our lives. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that Moses sent 12 spies across the Jordan into the promised land. This was something that they had heard Moses describe and talk to them about. And even their own fathers had whetted their appetite by speaking of the promises of God being fulfilled in their life. This was something that they knew that God had had told them that they would receive. And this was something that they had looked so forward to after coming out of 430 years of Egyptian bondage. Something that they had longed for. Something that they had desired. Yet when he sent those 12 spies representing the 12 tribes of Israel, when he sent them into the promised land, the Bible says that 10 came back with an evil report. And they reported of seeing the sons of Anak and the giants that were in the land and the walled cities, failing to see the potential, failing to see what God had given to them, failing to see a land that flowed with milk and honey, failing to see that there was nothing there in that land to sustain them and provide for them and to bless them for generations to come. And all of it God had given to them. All of it was theirs for the taking. The same God that had miraculously brought them out of Egyptian bondage. The same God that had given them the ten miracles of the plague. Plagues that caused Pharaoh to release them. And to allow them to leave the land of Egypt. That same God that had sustained them so that their shoes never wore out. That manna came from heaven and they were able to eat thereof. And water came from a rock. That same God that was able to shield them from the desert sun with a cloud by day. And keep them warm at night from the harsh coldness. After the sun had went down, that there was a flaming fire that was about the camp of Israel that kept them and sustained them. That same God that had given those things to them was able to defeat every giant that was in the land, was able to provide for them and give them the promise and fulfill the promise in their life. I tell you today that whatever it is that stands between you and your miracle, that God that brought you to this point, that God that has sustained you this long, that God that has given to you and blessed you and provided for you, that same God is able to work miracles in your life that you need him to work right now. That same God is able to take care of needs that seem impossible to you in the flesh He's able to do it in this this particular moment, in this particular time of your life. God is able to work, and God is able to sustain, no matter what the situation looks like. Sometimes we come into certain challenges of our life and certain situations of our life, and we feel as though that this is different than anything that I have faced before. 
and perhaps for us it is. But I'm telling you, the same God that has performed all the miracles that you read about in Scripture and has performed all the miracles of testimonies you've heard from others, that same God has the power in this place this morning to work for you. If He's ever healed, He can heal now. If He's ever worked a miracle, He can work a miracle now. If He's ever provided for anyone, He can provide for you. If He's ever raised anybody up, He can raise you up. Amen. If He's ever blessed anybody and favored anybody, He can favor you and he can bless you if you're obedient to the principles of the word of God we're not serving a God that is a respect to a person but we're serving a God that is able to do it seating and abundantly above all that we ask or think this morning the only thing that limits God is my faith my belief my ability to see what God wants me to see Hallelujah. Put your hands together again unto the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. That that place of impossibility is a place of potential when it comes to God. That place that seems like it could not get any worse than it is right now. It could not, I could not, I could not describe it to being it darker or a desolate are desperate than it is right now. I, I cannot see it to be any any worse of a situation than it is right now currently in my life. I, I want to preach to somebody and let you know that God is able to do exactly what His Word says that He's able to do. You need to get His Word in your mouth. You need to speak His Word instead of doubt. You need to proclaim His Word instead of your fears. You need, amen, to worship God according to the promises of His Word. You need to have faith to exercise, amen, a belief in God that God is going to perform that that He has promised. Amen. It may seem like it's a long way off. It may seem like... Amen. An impossibility at the moment. I may not feel him. I may not feel like, amen, that the miracle is anywhere near where I'm at. But God is able to do the work if I will believe him. If I will trust him. If I'll have faith in him. God is able to do what he said he would do. Praise God. Amen, 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 amen. There's a lot of times that that we're standing looking at our situation and analyzing our situation and maybe even overthinking our situation. And when we look at it, it looks like an inhuman impossibility. It looks like it could not be any more of a situation that is worse than it is right now. Amen. But God in his faithfulness, God in his goodness when he steps in when he begins to work when he begins to move when he intervenes when he answers the prayer when he touches a life he changes what seems one way into something entirely different amen he is able to bring life into dead situations he's able to touch and make whole in things that seem like they could never change amen there's hope and there's help in this house for somebody that will believe him right now. 
Somebody give him a wave offering across this building. Praise God. Praise God. The Bible tells us about David when he arrived at the battlefield giving supplies for his father to his brethren. The Bible says that he heard the taunting and intimidating challenge of Goliath emanating from the valley of Elah. And this was something that the rest of Israel had heard so much that it became commonplace for them just to accept that this was something that they were going to have to live with and live under the dread of it and the burden of it and the realization that we are at a standstill. Our army has been stagnated to a place that the battle has not been fought and it doesn't look like anywhere in the imminent future that it's going to be fought. It doesn't look like anywhere in the immediate future that anything is going to change, but this is something that we're going to have to survive with and get by with and live with, not understanding that this youth by the name of David, when he walked out into the area where he heard the giant and his voice lifted above all of the multitude that was gathered saying, send me a man that he may fight for me or fight with me. Send me, I being a champion, send me one of your champions that he may accept the challenge. And, and if I should overtake him, then you will serve us. And if he should overtake me, then the Philistines will serve you. And David hearing this, understanding and having fresh faith. You know, I've, I've always appreciated people that have fresh faith. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about faith that has not been jaded by disappointment. I'm talking about faith that has not been disappointed through the years by not seeing miracles come to pass. I'm talking about fresh faith. I'm talking about faith that comes from someone that just is crazy enough to step out and believe God for what His Word says is possible. I'm talking about faith that doesn't take no for an answer. I'm talking about faith that is bold and, and faith that is brash. Faith that is, is willing to, to push the edge of the envelope a little bit. Faith that is willing to get out on the edge, if you will. Faith that doesn't always play it safe. and Faith that says, I believe God is able. I believe God can do this. I know what it seems like right now, but I just have a God that is able to move in this situation. I know what the doctor said, but I just believe God is able to move in this situation. I know what others have, have told me, but I just believe God is able to take control of this situation. I know what it seems like and what it looks like right now, but I just believe God is able to turn this thing around in my life. I know God is able to work. 
That's the kind of fresh faith that we need in Pentecost today. You say, you don't know how many times I've prayed and how many times I've asked and how many times I believe God and how many times I've left the altar disappointed because it didn't happen. What are you saying? I'm saying come back again and believe God just like you did the first time because it could be the day that God gives you the miracle. It could be the day that God turns it around for you. It could be the moment that God works it out in your life. He didn't know any better. He didn't have any bad experiences. He didn't have anything, amen, but good experiences in God to look back to. He remembered lions and bears that God had delivered into his hand. And he said, what is this Philistine? He's nothing before my God. If God is able to deliver other foes into my hand, if God has given me this testimony, I know he will continue to work in my life and bring victory into my life. And while others were describing just how formidable the enemy was and trying to tell him in detail, if you will, just how great the giant was, describing him and trying to convince David that for him to stand and to challenge a giant was a ridiculous venture at best, David wouldn't hear any of it. Matter of fact, there's not one place that you can find in the scripture where David even uses the word or the term giant at all. He never referred to him as a giant. He referred to him as a defiling Philistine. He referred to him as an enemy that he was and he referred to him as one that God was able to conquer sometimes we talk about our problems uh, we talk about the things that we come up against uh, we talk about the things that we're praying for if God was able to do this uh, what do you mean if God was able to do this uh, amen what do you mean if, if, if God was able to intervene he is able to intervene he is able to work he is able to give you a miracle we build it up in our minds. But I'm telling you, it's nothing to God to work. It's nothing to God to intervene. It's nothing to God to perform the miracle. It's nothing for God to overcome and to conquer. It doesn't matter what the title is. It doesn't matter what the label is the doctor put on it. It doesn't matter how bad the diagnosis is. I'm telling you, God is able to do what his word says. He is able to do. Sometimes uh, it seems like uh, that that thing in your life is stirred up to the point uh, that it it, it just seems uh, as though it's so intimidating and it's something that haunts you and it takes sleep from you and it seems like you can't find peace uh, and you'll never have joy again. That That's exactly what was happening with this giant. Uh, that giant would speak uh, and he would, he would, he would hurl his accusations. Uh, he would speak his intimidating statements 
threats to those uh, that were gathered there and and threatened them uh, and, and it was a menacing thing it was something that haunted them it was something that struck fear in their heart uh, but I just want to tell you when the enemy stirred up against you it's a good time for you to have victory it's a good time for you to see God work it's a good time for you to experience a miracle when it looks most formidable when it looks like amen it cannot be conquered I'm telling you it's then that the enemy realizes they're closer amen to standing up in faith they're closer to standing up in courage and believing me and my word than they've ever been before Praise God. He never once called him a giant. Quit looking and, and focusing on and casting your eyes upon your problems. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on what God is able to do. Amen? We hunger and we desire and we have an appetite for things that are in our character. If faith is a part of your character, it doesn't matter what the physical eye sees. You can look beyond that. If faith is a part of your character, it doesn't matter what is before you. You can look beyond that. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Two different desires described there that are the primary and the most, I would say the strongest desires of a human being is hunger and thirst. And those are the two primary desires of anything that is living. And that appetite and that hunger He says, if you have it for righteousness, you shall be filled. So the promise is, the hungry shall be filled. It's unequivocal. There's no argument. It's not to be debated. The only prerequisite is for you to get hungry. Some of you had it in your mind. I gotta do certain things to get my miracle from God. I, I gotta be willing to do certain things to get my breakthrough from God. I gotta be with, no, really, all you've gotta have is a hunger. All you've gotta have is a thirst. All you gotta have, amen, is a longing for. All you gotta have is a desire. I've seen people that were hungry. They could make it through a lot of obstacles. People that were thirsty could press on when there were so many things that were there to discourage and dissuade They overcame all disappointment because there was a hunger and there was a desire and there was a drive and an urgency that was there within them. Amen. To satisfy that hunger and to satisfy that thirst that was within. When you have a thirst and a hunger for righteousness, nothing else appeals to you like that. That's what you have an appetite for. But... You know that we hunger for things that we have experienced and what we've tasted. Amen? How many has ever had a longing? I remember we went over to, to, to Europe and, and on a, over to the Holy Lands. And, you know, 
uh, it doesn't matter what they say. There was some great food over there, but there's nothing quite like what you're used to. And, uh, you know, you just kind of, even though there was a lot of it and you was able to eat whatever you wanted that they had provided and as much of it as you wanted to, it just seemed like you was left with a longing. You, you was just left a little bit hungry and unsatisfied. And I remember we was flying back and there was a gentleman that was in our group. He said, you know, as soon as I get off this plane, he said, you know, as soon as we load the car up where I'm going, he said, I may be jet lagged. He said, I may not feel like I can lift the suitcase. He said, there's one place I'm going. And he named a, a Mexican food place in, in his town. I'd never heard of it. And he said, you know, and, and eventually I was able to go and visit that particular restaurant. And to me, it wasn't anything special. But to him, that's all he could think about when he'd been over there nibbling all that food that he was unfamiliar with. And he said, when I get home, this is what I am going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down at that table. I'm going to eat me some chips and salsa and I'm going to have me a taco and an enchilada. And he began to, I mean, he had it all set up in his mind what he was going to do. That's all he was focused on because that was what he was hungry for because that was something that he had tasted before. If you've ever had a longing like that, you know because you can almost taste it and your taste buds are set for it. And you can, you can, in your mind, you can, you can almost tell what the experience is going to be like. You, you get your mind and your heart set on something. What a disappointment it is to not be able to follow through and not be able to experience whatever. How many has ever pulled up a restaurant that you was hungry for and it was closed? Come on, don't sit there so piously. You know that's happened to you. I remember uh, one of these fish joints that are out here outside of town, and we, we drove. It seemed like we drove forever to get there, and we got there, and we forgot. They don't open on Monday. Pulled up in the parking lot. I, I was wanting some fried catfish and, and, and a closed door, a closed sign on the door. And I thought, man, I was so set. I, I mean, that was what I had an appetite for because I had tasted it before. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalms 34 and 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, that, that word, oh, is kind of like a, a provocative passionate word of challenge. It's only mentioned 16 times in the Word of God. Oh, just that singular letter that represents a word. Oh, you can almost you can you can't say oh as it's supposed to be said and just be monotone. You can't say oh and just uh, just just keep going without any emphasis. Uh, but there's a, a passionate plea that is going forth there. Oh, taste and see. I don't believe that the psalmist uh, as he was, he was writing this and maybe even saying it to himself, uh, was saying, Oh, uh, the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth him and, uh, yawns a little bit and says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is God. I don't believe it happened like that at all, but I believe uh, that the more he began to think about it uh, and it got to that point that he was going to talk about tasting of the goodness of God, that he said, Oh, taste 
taste and see. Oh, I think you'll have to agree if you ever get a taste of this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He was making a challenge. He was saying, if you have a taste of it, you'll get hungry for it too. If you ever get a taste of it in your mouth, you'll desire more of it too. There'll be a hunger. There'll be an appetite. There'll be a desire that will be developed in your heart for more of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is God. God is good. Amen. That God is a God of blessing. That God is a God that fulfills his promises. That God is a God of miracles and works in your life. That God answers prayer. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? Anybody understand what I'm speaking about here this morning? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hey, some of us in this place can identify with what the Hebrew writer said when he said, for it is impossible for those that were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Anybody ever tasted of the heavenly gift and weren't made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come? We've tasted of the heavenly gift. We've been partakers, amen, of the world to come. Amen. We've tasted of the good word of God. We know of his blessings. We know of his promises. We've experienced his goodness. We're in this house this morning because God is merciful. Because God is gracious. Because God is a forgiving God. Because God is a God that fills you with the Holy Ghost. God is a God that satisfies your soul. Oh, taste and see that the Lord. Stand with me and raise your hands to the Lord and let's give him praise this morning. Oh, taste and see. All I can say is if you've ever partaken of it, if you've ever tasted of it, if you've ever experienced it, you'll want more. You'll want more. And the only prerequisite for you being satisfied this morning, because the Bible did say feel It didn't say partially. It didn't say just a little bit. He said as much as you're hungry for, you shall be filled. As much as you desire, that's what I have available. I might say that God's not going to give you more than what you desire. He's not going to give you more. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm afraid to go to Pentecostal church because I'm afraid something will get off on me. I'm going to tell you, nothing will get off on you that you don't desire. Nothing will happen to you that you're not hungry for. But all that you're hungry for can happen for you this morning. If you're hungry for a healing, you can have a healing. If you're hungry to be filled with the Holy Ghost, you can have the Holy Ghost. If you're hungry for deliverance, you can be delivered. You don't have to go back to drugs. You don't have to go back to alcohol. You don't have to go back to the old lifestyle. You don't have to be the same person. You don't have to walk on the job the same individual. You can be changed this way.